Welcome to Heart to Bark, a podcast for people who love their animals and want to learn more about them. I am your host, Dr. Mark. Come, sit, and stay tuned as we talk about the health and well-being of our furry, scaly, and even feathery friends. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about diabetes. So diabetes, uh, pretty common. We typically see this in dogs and cats. Uh, and I do have, you know, personally quite a few dogs and cats that I'm managing. And what I want to do is just run through real quick what it is, what causes it. Uh, but what I want to spend the most time on is management. I think that's what's going to be the most valuable to uh, you in you know, what we deal with with diabetes. So ultimately, diabetes mellitus, it is uh, the increased level of glucose or sugar in the bloodstream. And so what's happening is, is the insulin that is normally produced by the beta cells in the pancreas, for some reason, is either not being produced or is not being utilized correctly. And so that sugar or glucose doesn't get drawn into the cells where it is utilized by the body. So it stays in the bloodstream and causes problems. And so there are three types of diabetes that we deal with. Type one is what we call insulin dependent. This is where the actual pancreas, those beta cells, are not producing insulin. So this type of diabetes insulin is required to manage and that is going to be lifelong. And so this is actually the most common form that we see in dogs. So all dogs are going to need insulin if they are diabetic. Then we move to type two. Type two is non-insulin dependent. And typically what this is, is you may have some dysfunctional beta cells. So the pancreas, they just may not be functioning well. Um, and you may have some what we call peripheral resistance to insulin. So out in the tissues and in the blood, there's some issues there. This kind can sometimes be reversible and can go into a quote unquote remission. This does occur in cats, but never occurs in dogs. So type two, we do see it in cats, but we will uh, not see it in dogs. The last type, which we don't see very commonly, is more hormonal induced, so type 3. Typically, we'll see this with pregnancy or gestation. And usually once that resolves or, you know, puppies are born, kittens, that typically will go away. Uh, not super common. We don't see it very often, especially since we're trying to spay and neuter our pets uh, for other reasons. But yes. So what causes diabetes. So that's one of the big questions. And probably the most common cause is immune mediated diseases. So that is where the body attacks itself. And there are several immune mediated diseases that we deal with in dogs, cats, humans for that matter. And basically what it does is it leads to the destruction of these beta cells I keep talking about. So the pancreas does two things for the body. The first thing it does is it produces enzymes to digest fat. And so if you're eating a fatty food and your pancreas gets inflamed, then we have what's called pancreatitis. And that's the, the one part of the pancreas that uh, we'll see the most commonly is pancreatitis. Whenever 
dogs and cats get into fatty foods that they're not normally used to. The other thing that the pancreas does are these beta cells, and they produce insulin. And so with an autoimmune disease, these beta cells are attacked and are destroyed. And so they no longer produce insulin, which we classically see in type 1 diabetes, and so we have to supplement it. So this is where we see most commonly in dogs. The second thing is pancreatitis, just mentioned. Basically, if an animal has chronic pancreatitis, ultimately it's going to lead to destruction of those beta cells. So even though that's not the part of the pancreas that's directly being affected with pancreatitis, because they're in the same organ, they're going to get damaged as well. And we see this more commonly whenever we have animals with chronic pancreatitis. It just keeps happening. And so typically with these chronic pancreatitis animals, we're managing these with low-fat diets. And so that's where it gets important if you have an animal with pancreatitis issues that you're dealing with, you definitely want to follow your veterinarian's instructions because we don't want it to lead to diabetes. It's one of the predisposing things for it. Um, One of the last common ones we'll see is genetics. We just not well defined, but genetics can lead to diabetes as well. So immune mediated diseases, pancreatitis and genetics are the three big ones. There's obviously more. I'm not going to go into those in this podcast because I really want to get to management. So what are you going to see at home? So typically, the most common finding that you're going to see is your pet is going to drink more water and they may urinate more in response to that. So classically, when they come in the exam room, I'm going to ask the owner, is your pet just hanging over the water bowl? Are they just sitting there, they drink the full bowl, and then they want more and more and more? And so that's one of the big things that we'll see is that these guys want to drink more water. Many times you're also going to, typically these pets are going to be overweight. So cats especially, they're usually an overweight pet that all of a sudden they start to lose weight. It may be slow, it may be fast, but they will have gradual weight loss. So that's something else to watch for. Some of them will eat a little bit more. Some of them may vomit. Some of them may have diarrhea, abdominal pain, especially if you have a pancreatitis involved with that. Pancreatitis hurts. And so those are a few things that you're going to see from a gastrointestinal or kind of a stomach standpoint. Another thing that we'll commonly see that I would really have you watch for is in dogs, they develop cataracts really quickly. And so if you have a dog that appears to go blind almost overnight, look at his eyes. If they are white and there's cataracts in there, get that dog checked for diabetes. What happens is, is for some reason in dogs, sugar will accumulate in the lenses and makes them go cloudy really, really quick. So the first thing that I check for in a dog that has cataracts, if they're especially if they're not older, is we always check their sugar levels to make sure they don't have diabetes. A little bit different in cats. In cats, one of the things you want to look for, because they get muscle weakness really bad, you want to look how they walk or stand. In their back legs, every once in a while, or can commonly happen actually, they'll get muscle weakness in their back legs and they will uh, drop their hocks. So they call it a plantigrade stance. And that's where they're not walking on their feet. 
it almost looks like they're walking on part of their leg. And so if you have a cat that's walking around and on their back legs, it's not walking on its feet, you may want to get that one checked for diabetes as well, especially if you're seeing weight loss, drinking a lot of water, eating more, any of those other signs that we just talked about, because those are big indicators that we do have diabetes. So how do we diagnose this? So we create this scenario. We have this dog or cat that's hovering over the water bowl. They may be eating a lot. They're losing weight. They come into the clinic and you know the owner's like, doc, I think my, my dog might have diabetes. Okay. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a blood sample and we're going to check the sugar levels in the blood. So we're going to check the glucose levels and we do that with blood work. And so a fasting elevated sugar level, as they do in humans, is the hallmark finding with diabetes. Now, many times I will also take a urine sample because sugar in the urine, sugar should not be in there. There should be no sugar in your urine, so no glucose in there. And what happens is, is when diabetes or when the sugar levels with diabetes elevate in the bloodstream, when it goes to the kidneys to be filtered out and kept into the bloodstream, there's a threshold that the kidney can only kind of hold back that sugar. And once it reaches that threshold, then the sugar starts to spill over into the urine. And so we get this spillover effect. And when we see glucose or sugar in the urine, then we know that diabetes is probably there. And we for sure want to check our blood values. The other thing that we can do that, you know, we may just kind of, I'll just mention, uh, we have a test called a fructosamine test. You know, if we're worried about pancreatitis, we check for pancreas. Lipase, which is a, a test that we use to check for pancreatitis. We may run cultures on the urine, and here's why. So a lot of diabetics have bladder infections. And the reason is bacteria love sugar, and you have this large bladder full of urine that's basically full of sugar. And bacteria just love that. So we really want to make sure that we don't have a UTI or a bladder infection. And so we'll check that as well. One thing I do want to mention, in the human side, they use the A1C test. So that's a really good test for humans. It's not so reliable on the animal side. And so many times we don't use that test. We'll typically uh, use fructosamine. That gives us more of our average over the last two to three weeks. And so many times we don't use the A1C. It's just not as reliable for us on the animal side. So many people ask me that when they come in with their uh, diabetics. Well, let's run an A1C. Although the test is available, we typically don't use it. So now I want to get into treatment. This is where I want to spend the most time and kind of just make sure that I go over, you know, everything that, that, you are going to have to do at home because that's what's going to be the most important. You know, identifying what what to look for to have a suspicion of diabetes, get to the vet, get a diagnosis, and then, okay, now let's start our treatment. So most, if not all, treatment protocols on the animal side require insulin. And so you're going to hear about some oral products. And, and on the human side, they use quite a few oral products not as common on the veterinary side. And so there is a medication called glipizide. I don't use it 
really at all. There's a few others and there's actually some new ones coming out and those will be exciting to see how well they work. But until then, we're still with our insulin. And so insulin, there's several products out there. And so what is most important, your veterinarian is going to recommend really what works best, what they're most comfortable with, what's available. All of those are, are key factors. And I'm not going to go into each insulin. What, what I am going to note is you have to be careful which insulin you're getting. And the reason is, is some of them are what's called U100 and others are called U40. On the veterinary side, we like to use a U40 system. It's a little more diluted so that we can dose it out a little bit more accurately. Where that becomes important is, is the syringes are different. So Vetsilin and there's a PZI that we have that is U40. And you cannot use a U100 syringe that you would get from your pharmacy to dose that. So two units of a U40 insulin is not two units of a U100 insulin. The syringes are very important. And so we want to make sure that you know which insulin you're getting. If you're getting an insulin from a human pharmacy, which is typically what I use personally, then you can get the U100 syringes that are also at that pharmacy. If you get a U40 insulin that you get from your veterinarian, and that's pretty much where you're going to get that, then you need to use a U40 syringe that you get from your veterinarian, not a U100 syringe from the pharmacy. And so make sure that you do not interchange those because you will either be underdosing or overdosing your pet whenever you're giving insulin. Another thing that does help is diet. Many times once we diagnose diabetes, we are going to switch to a diet that typically is lower in carbohydrates, or they're going to be carbohydrates that don't give us a spike. They're going to be kind of a longer, kind of lower sugar elevation within the bloodstream. And so those are going to be things that typically are prescription diets. And your veterinarian can go through those and, you know, basically guide you based on diet and insulin. And, you know, I'm going to go over a little bit about how we do it. Um, here in just a second, I just want to mention one more thing. If there are other diseases, more specifically pancreatitis, heart disease, kidney disease, all of these can attribute to insulin issues. And so those are some things that we do want to correct any other issues that this pet may have before we just dive off and do, you know, treatment for diabetes by itself. And so just just want to mention that, that we want to make sure that we address any other issues, even long term, especially like your chronic pancreatitis. You know, we have the two parts of the pancreas and we want to we want to address both parts of it. And so doing that is is crucial. OK, so now I want to move into the actual protocol and how do we institute insulin therapy? What, what are what are the goals? Where are we going with that? So most insulin treatments involve injections twice a day. And so typically what I recommend is you give the proper units with the proper syringe in the morning with food. And then what's going to happen is, is those glucose levels are going to make almost like a curve and they're going to go down and they're going to reach a trough or a nadir. And that point is where is the most important point that we typically work with. And so usually that's roughly, depending on the insulin, I'm just going to go with six hours. So typically six hours after you give your insulin in the morning, they're going to be at your lowest point. That's important because when we monitor these guys, we may, we may check for that point. So 
then what's going to happen is it's going to start to go back up. So then 12 hours later from the first injection, you're going to give another one with food and then it's going to drop and go back down again. So you're going to follow this curve throughout the day. And that's important because when we're monitoring, typically what I will do is I will give an injection of insulin. And then if I do what's called a glucose curve, we're going to take blood samples every two hours and we're going to just follow the whole curve so you can plot it out on a, on a graph. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll just have the owner come back six hours later after their initial injection and we check what the level is at that trough. And so I like to see that number in the high hundreds or the low 200s. So about 180, yeah, 200, 210 is okay. And if I get it there, then I'm happy with my control. And so when we start talking about managing diabetes, diet and feeding times are very important. You want to feed your pet twice a day and you want that to be their caloric intake. And we're going to adjust the insulin to those feedings. And so if I can stress anything, the biggest thing that I would stress when trying to manage diabetes is be consistent. Don't make abrupt changes in schedules or diet and both diet amounts and diet frequencies, things like that. I'll give you a quick example. I had a cat one time that the owner was telling me that they were feeding twice a day. And so we started insulin. We gave a unit in the morning and a unit in the afternoon. They came in and we did a recheck. It was still high. So we started going up on the insulin. You know, we got the the cat regulated with the proper amount. Six months later, all of a sudden the cat comes in and is crashing. So too much insulin and the sugar levels were too low. And so I questioned the owner. I was like, did anything change in... The owner's like, well, I was leaving food out free choice and I've decided to just pull it during the day and only feed twice a day. And what happened was, is we were, we adjusted the insulin to a level that accommodated for the cat to be eating all day. So it was at a higher level than what we would have had this cat only been eating twice a day. And when the food was dropped down to twice a day only and was pulled during the day, the cat wasn't getting what it needed during the day to maintain sugar levels that we had the insulin adjusted to. So we had to go back and readjust all the insulin and the cat did great, but we have to stay consistent. You have to stay in touch with your veterinarian because any changes like that can be detrimental to the patient and your pet. And so pick a feeding schedule twice a day. And I always recommend feeding twice a day, even to non-diabetics, just in case they ever become diabetic, you're already on that every 12 hour schedule of eating. So my recommendation would be is if you have a pet, I would feed it in the morning and feed it in the evening at a roughly 12 hour schedule. That way, if for some reason we develop diabetes, we're already on that schedule. And so super important that we do that. So I mentioned this nadir or this trough usually occurs about six hours after we give insulin. And the reason that's important is because one of the monitoring tests that we do is called a glucose curve. That's where the animal will get an injection in the morning, will stay in the clinic and blood sugar levels are checked every two hours and we're just making sure it's following the curve that we want. If it doesn't, then we increase the dose or decrease the dose accordingly. Now, sometimes that can be a problem for owners. They just can't get their pet to the vet through the whole day. So many times what I will do is 
anytime you give insulin and you make a dose change, I always like to have that animal on that new dose for about five to seven days. And so if I've recently made a dose change, then I'll have the owner come back in five to seven days later and I will check a trough dose and we'll see where our our trough level and we'll see where the sugar levels are when they're at that nadir or that trough. So if the owner gave the insulin at five in the morning, then I have them bring the pet in at 11. It takes less than five minutes. We get a little blood sample and we check the sugar level at that moment. And if it's higher than 200, 210, 220, somewhere in there, then we may increase the insulin. And then I have them come back five to seven days later and we do it again. And so what that does is, is that allows the owner to just come and do a spot check and they don't have to leave the pet. The pet's not stressed out. And many times I can get these guys regulated. It may take a few tests and, you know, a few weeks to get it done, but we get these guys regulated and they're not stressed out. We just get one sample. So spot glucose checks I use very frequently. If I'm having a hard time getting them regulated, we may end up doing curves or there's a few other tests we use. I'm not going to go much into them, but there are some monitors that you can put on them. The lifestyle monitor, it actually just stays on the pet and it gives you a reading on your phone. Those are really good. The fructosamine test, like we talked about, that gives me an average of what it was, what the sugar levels have been for the past two to three weeks. So that's another good one. And then if we start getting well-regulated, many times we'll maybe take a urine sample and we'll just see, are we still having any spillover? If we're not having any spillover, then we know we're getting our levels to where we need them to be. So what happens whenever, hey doc, we've been doing so well, we're on insulin, all the clinical signs have gotten better, uh, we're not drinking any, you know, much water anymore like we were, our weight is stabilized out. And all of a sudden, my pet is starting to drink a lot more water. And it's been six months, a year, whatever it is. And the first thing that I will do if we ever get an animal that has been regulated really well and then all of a sudden is starting to have problems, I'll usually check for a few things. So one is a bladder infection. So like we talked about, if there's a spilling over into the urine, a bladder infection can complicate the management of diabetes. So we'll get that corrected if, if it is. The other thing that I'll do is I'll ask the owner if they've recently bought a bottle of insulin. And if they have, then I will almost always tell them to go buy a new bottle. And the reason is, is because, you know, proper handling of the insulin is very important. And we just want to make sure that the insulin wasn't an issue. So we don't want to start making a lot of insulin changes on a maybe a bad bottle. And so then you start upping it and you have inactive insulin in there and you go up three, four, five units. And then after they use that bottle up, then they go get another bottle that is a good bottle and then they're too high. So you don't want to, I don't make a lot of changes until I know that I've at least tried a different bottle of insulin and see that it has corrected itself. So there, you know, you need to work with your veterinarian really close. The biggest thing, once again, be consistent, but also be observant. What changed? What's different? What's my dog doing different? What's my cat doing different? Did I just buy a new bottle of insulin? Do I have the correct insulin syringes? Did I get U40s, U100s? What's, is there anything that has changed? So just be observant and help the veterinarian, you know, just basically be, be the eyes. And, and so that helps us quite a bit. And so I think that, you know, if you can do that, 
managing diabetes, you know, giving injections, people, a lot of people get scared of that. You know, honestly, once owners learn it, they almost say, I, most of them come back in and they're like, man, I would rather give an injection than give a pill or liquid every day. So many of them actually, they, they find a routine. They give the injection while the animal's eating, so they don't even know it. There's a lot of different tricks, and we can definitely go into those, you know, on an individual basis. If anybody has questions, you know, call, email. I mean, I can definitely help you out, but work with your veterinarian on that. And so I think you'll see that managing diabetes can be not as stressful as many people think it is, because a lot of people do think it is stressful. But I hope this uh, podcast helped. Good luck. If you enjoyed listening to this type of content, then hit that subscribe button for new episodes every week. For more information about this podcast or printable PDFs, visit our website at drmark.vet. That's D-R-M-A-R-K dot V-E-T. And feel free to email us about new topics to put on the show at info at drmark.vet. Also, check out our social outlets like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram to stay up to date with our activities. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you.